The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Welcome to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, on today's episode, we talk with Jeff Simon. He's with the Western Dakota Energy Association. Talked to him about a number of different things, including water issues that are happening. There's some new legislation that was just passed in North Dakota that's going to impact the Bakken oil field since it's a done deal as far as the legislation goes. Mr. Jeff Simon's kind of somewhat of a political correspondent for us when the bickering and the partisanship and everything gets done. We have something that is finalized. That's when we bring it onto our program. So now we know what to do from there. And that's what we talk about here is a little bit of water issue. You know, in fact, he also just spent a little bit of time down in Oklahoma City. They had their big annual interstate oil and gas compact commission. And it's, um, you know, kind of boring for the average folk, but a lot of rules and regulations do come out of there, including some of the things going on with drones, as far as the UAS industry, finding abandoned wells and pipelines and a number of different things. Plus, there's some new regulations in the state of Washington impacting the transportation of crude oil to the Bakken oil fields. From the Bakken oil fields, excuse me, because they're being extracted out of there. Of course, many of you know that the Bakken oil fields impacts about, oh, I don't know, about seven surrounding states and also Texas, Colorado, Oklahoma, New Mexico, all kinds of states where you've got major energy companies and actually mid-level and even minor small companies that are headquartered out of those certain areas are impacted by the Bakken oil field and they're able to get it to market. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about today with Jeff Simon with the Western Dakota Energy Association. A number of different things involving the energy industry, legislation, the politicians, and what to do next. All that plus much more on today's episode of the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, and I'll tell you what, let's get right to it. This is Jeff Simon with the Western Dakota Energy Association. Uh, This is Jeff Simon. I'm the executive director of the Western Dakota Energy Association. Thank you very much for joining us today. A couple of reasons to have them on the program. One is to talk about some of the things affecting oil and gas. We just had a legislative session in North Dakota wrap up, and a couple things came out of there of interest. And then there's that state of Washington ban of, uh, not ban, but just some new regulations that might turn into a ban, I guess. And then also, um, you're just down in a conference in, in, I believe it was Oklahoma, so Let's start off with that a little bit. I took a look at the itinerary. Actually, I knew about a half a dozen people that were down at that conference. In fact, I'm interviewing an attorney from Norman, Oklahoma. She does a lot of water issues, and you know this. uh, Boy, water is one of the most underreported, under-talked about, and I I don't want to use the word issue because I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill here, but 
it doesn't take too many tea leaves to see that water is one of the big important issues going on in the oil patch right now. Would you agree with that or disagree? Just, I guess we'll start off uh, comments on water and then down to the conference. How's that? Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know what they always say, water's for drinking and, and uh, or whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting, I think is the old line. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but, uh, water was a big issue this past session. The, uh, the water commission budget is nearly a billion dollars and that's going to fund water projects and as well as flood control projects in North Dakota, both of which are, are a really big deal here. Um, you know, uh, produced water is uh, was kind of a, a, an issue as part of the uh, the pore space legislation that came out of this past session. That uh, that kind of turned turned into a sort of a sleeper issue. It didn't. Not too many people saw that one coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, what it amounts to is a, a Supreme Court decision in 2017 took into consideration legislation that was passed in 2009 that dealt with actually it was contemplating you know the idea of carbon sequestration the whole co2 storage idea and it uh took a look at that in the context of uh oil and and uh you know produced water wastewater disposal wells and potentially pulled into play the prospect of requiring oil companies to compensate uh landowners for oil that is uh, discharged or injected, re-injected back into the same unit from which it's produced, which, you know, it's a long t- long-standing kind of common law sort of thing that companies are allowed to do that. They, they do have to pay for surface disturbance, but not for the, uh, you know, the use of the space underground to inject the water. That, that was resolved, so. How about down at that conference down in Oklahoma? Um, I noticed there were a few Bakken presenters, specifically from North Dakota, um, I just a few, two or three off the top of my head. Uh, did did the Bakken and North, North Dakota have a pretty good presence down there at that conference that you attended in Nor- in uh, Norman, Oklahoma? I O G C. What what was the the whole? Yes. Yeah, the uh, State Oil and Gas Compact Commission. It's basically the National Association of State Oil and Gas Regulators. And it was actually it was in downtown Oklahoma City is where it was uh, where it was happening at. That's um, it. Sorry about that. Not Norman, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. But, okay. You know the the main public program re- really kind of kicks off with something that's kind of cool. It's a it's a roundtable where um, they, each of the uh, regulators from the states and provinces. There were I believe five provinces from Canada uh, presented as well. There um, they all get six minutes. You know to kind of give a rundown of uh, what's going on in their state. And uh, obviously, Lynn Helms, our guy here from North Dakota, the Department of Mineral Resources, was there and talked about, you know, what we got going on in North Dakota. I mean, we're uh, kind of boom times right now. 1.4 million barrels a day, 2.7 BCS of gas a day. Um, You know, and and they all talked about, you know, kind of the state of their industry. A lot of them are looking at uh, abandoned wells. Um, It was really remarkable. I I think probably a third of the, the presenters talked about these abandoned wells that, uh, a lot of times they, they just don't have a handle on where any of them are. Um, I believe it was the state of Ohio. They actually found one underneath a school. No kidding. There was kind of a methane seep going into the school, and it was actually the school had been built over an abandoned gas well. Well, I, I was talking to a guy who was down at the conference, and he told me about another gentleman who in, the, in this Ohio thing where they're using this $27,000 drone, basically, uh, plus to go find these abandoned wells. So did yeah. was was there a lot of talk about the drones and uh, the or UAS UAV whatever the you know correct terminology is? But North Dakota, of course, being one of six test states helping set the rules and regulations, 
surveillance, oil and gas being one of those. Was that mentioned down there at all, kind of some of the drone talk? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that's a big part of the technology. You know, that's really kind of, uh, you know, what the, a lot of the states are trying to do is just to get a handle on it right now. I think North Dakota pretty much knows where they are. I mean, the drilling just started here in the 1950s. So, uh, you know, they have a pretty good handle on it. But some of these other states, I mean, these are these are pre-turn of the century. And I'm talking the 1800s to 1900s turn of the century wells that have been there for more than 100 years. Uh, but, you know, if they haven't been, you know, properly plugged, they're, they're a hazard. And a lot of these states are still trying to get a handle on that. It's kind of remarkable. I saw that um, EERC, the Energy Environment Research Center, was represented down at the conference, too. What were they talking about? Yeah, well, Jay Almley was there from. It was Jay, year. okay. Jay, uh, Jay leads the project uh, called iPipe, uh, Integrated Pipeline uh, Technology. I can't recall exactly the acronym, but it's uh, you know it's using technology to identify and to prevent um, possible leaks, pipeline leaks. That's really the target of it. You know, it's this kind of Shark Tank sort of. Uh, project where they look at some of the best ideas and then fund them through the oil and gas research council here in partnership with i think they have eight different industry partners now looking at ways to um you know to prevent pipeline leaks to you know i mean pipelines are 99.999 something like that percent safe but there's you know there's always an issue so they're looking at uh, technology and ways to do that Mr. Jeff Simon, going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. We're going to take a quick pause, but when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Jeff Simon with the Western Dakota Energy Association. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Stood in front of me, always keeping me behind the scenes, and there's nothing that you don't know. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, coming up next, we continue the conversation with Jeff Simon with the Western Dakota Energy Association. But there's, you know, there's always an issue. So they're looking at uh, technology and ways to do that. It's a, it's a really a fantastic project, and they've, uh, they've got some, you know, promising prospects to, you know, to, to identify these leaks before they happen. Looking at pipe integrity and, and uh, some things like that. They've got golf ball sized probes. They can actually, you know, there's sensors that 
go through the pipe and then when they bring them out they're full of data that can uh, be interpreted to uh, you know to identify potential hazards they're using satellites uh, there's a company called Satellitics. Uh, it's it's really quite fascinating, and it's a growing project. It's a multi-year project, so it's gonna it's gonna go on for a little while longer. Anything about big data going on? Because a lot of the stuff that you were talking about, of course, leads to big data, big data. However, you want to describe yeah. it. That's been a term in the industry for about five years. It's um, it's growing, you know, and and you know how how it goes. That stuff's exponential. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere. We just might start hearing about it as the new normal is just that sort of thing. Much like how the UAS, UAV talk has been going, you know, pr- pretty soon we're going to be able to pinpoint specific, you know, blight on a potato plant and a little remote censored real-time robot will go out and perfume mist the potato blight. And that, that, that'll save a small fortune on pesticides and everything else. Uh, how, how advanced is the big data talk, I guess? Was there any of that talk down there? Just from what you were saying, just I was going, oh, well, there's layering in big data right now. Yeah, yeah, they really are, yeah. yeah. A lot of the companies talked about their IT efforts and, and modernizing their database. So some of them are using, you know, relatively old technology. Um, and um, they're looking, uh, the, the regulators are looking at, you know, I think um, a lot of your listeners, Jason, are probably familiar with, the frac focus website where you know they they kind of built a clearinghouse on hydro hydraulic fracturing technology and and disposal and all sorts of information well the, the oil and gas regulators are looking at building a database of kind of best regulatory practices to to kind of get a handle on this what they're doing in terms of using technology and and uh, analyzing data to, uh, to spot trends perhaps and you know uh, it's it's all fascinating technology is you know we all know it's growing exponentially, and it's it's a continuing challenge to kind of keep a handle on it. But it's definitely a, definitely a talk among uh, the industry regulators. Well, for me, it's it's the validation of, and you know this because you were around back in the day of when the John Gibsons of One Oaks and the Harold Hams and the James Volkers of uh, of um, Whiting would make and you know regular appearances out to the Bakken and, and talk about the paradigm shift happening in oil and gas. This was back in 2014, probably, maybe 2013, where they were openly just saying, this is a paradigm shift that's going on. And this big data, big data is part of that, because what you're talking about now is next year or the year after, all of a sudden at the click of a button, you're going to have all this regulation data just at the, like I said, at the click of a button that you're going to make these decisions in real time for people. It's going to be amazing over the next two, three years What's going to happen in oil? I don't think people understand the industry is just in the infant stages right now. <laughs> well, true, and, and that, that especially I think applies to completion technology. Totally, absolutely. <laughs> Some major, major changes. I mean, just in the past uh, two, three years here, uh, you know, there are there are wells, and uh, granted, it's good geology in North Dakota that they're dealing with, but there are companies that are bringing on wells that are that are unbelievably bringing ten thousand barrels per day of initial production. It's well, just an astonishing amount of oil that's coming out of, you know, you, you maybe have heard about that in an offshore well, but uh, for an onshore well to produce 10,000 barrels a day is remarkable. But it's just how far they've come with, you know, completion technology and hydraulic fracturing. It's more precise. They know, you know, where the formation is. They stay in the heart of that formation. Um, and, it, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. They're talking about, you know, right now, um, getting between recovery rates of 15 to 20 percent 
And, you know, when EOR comes down the road, enhanced oil recovery in a decade or two, or, I mean, it's in the, it's in the development phase now, but, you know, uh, there's a day when we're going to get a whole lot more of the oil out of those formations. So we're, the industry is going to last here in North Dakota for many decades to come. I know a few years ago, I used to run ads with my, my son talking about how, you know, it's a first generation company. My son's going to take over because that's how long the Bakken shale play is going to be. And, you know, he goes to industry events. He was at the Williston Basin Conference a couple of years ago. He goes to Bakken Barbecue every year with me. He goes to all these public uh, oil and gas events, is getting to know the people. And he's only 13 now. And, yeah. yeah, and the reason for that is I truly believe that these interviews and this program and this brand and everything is going to be all part of the next 30 to 40 years because that's how long the the industry is going to be with what we know with the current technology. Now, when we start integrating in what's going on up in the ERC and the Bakken with, say, some of the technology they have going down in Midland, Texas, where they're trying to take the natural gas that's being flared down there and turn it into a way to make water to irrigate the desert. Can you imagine once that technology gets figured out and another shale blaze can integrate it in? That's what I love is that like what, what the Bakken is doing is eventually going to end up in other shale plays. That's kind of the idea, right? Is that, well, yeah. yeah. You know, the, uh, yeah, the technology just, I mean, it just continues to advance. Who knows, who knows, knows what's coming down the road, but you know, for the, for the, uh, uh, the keep it in the ground crowd, I think, you know, they're, they're sort of in denial if they think we're going to be, um, you know, somehow abandoning the use of, of oil anytime in the next uh, in the near future uh, you know there's just no no substitute for the energy density that you can get out of a, a barrel of oil i mean you think about imagine trying to fly a, a heavy cargo plane or or move a locomotive on electricity it just isn't going to happen you need that density of that fuel right now and there just is no alternative being developed so that's why i say the industry is going to be around for many decades to come i think your son's grandchildren will still be using oil so uh well, i i agree i mean at, at the very least it'll it'll be a ve- it'll be a dominant niche in fact i don't even think it'll be a niche in the next 100 years we're so far from getting off oil and gas cuz it's just so much a part of our life in yeah. so many different ways from transportation to construction to geez even even our currency is, yeah. is, is very much plastic-based, you know, but, you know. And speaking of plastic, yeah, that's the, the other thing that people don't uh, often think about, that a big portion of that barrel of crude oil is turned into products that we use every day, plastics and, uh, you know, various forms of nylon and uh, all kinds of different synthetic-type, uh, well, you would think they're synthetic, but they're not. They're, they're made from organic material. Mr. Jeff Simon, going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. We're going to take a quick pause, but when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Jeff Simon with the Western Dakota Energy Association. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. You told me what I'd never be, but you'll see you're only bringing out the best in me. Everything is going up. Too late for an apology You messed up a good thing Cause you would never admit you're wrong You're gonna miss me when I'm gone Cause elevators going up And I'm on it And I ain't ever gonna come down 
You told me what I'd never be But you'll see you're only Bringing out the best in me And then it's going up You gotta imagine a guitar solo right here the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Here we go. Hamburger steaks, holiday ends. That's the kind of world that I live in. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, coming up next, we continue the conversation with Jeff Simon with the Western Dakota Energy Association. But I got to ask you, Mr. Jeff Simon. Is, is is that a crazy statement to say I'm going to ban oil and gas? Well, I don't I don't know if it's crazy. It's pretty darn stupid. But um, you know, I, the idea. I think Bernie Sanders has said, yeah, he wants to ban hydraulic fracking. Well, a president can't ban. That would have to be an act of Congress that would do that in the first place. So it's it's sort of outlandish to begin with. But I mean, you consider the alternative here. I mean, we I I, I don't think you'll find anyone that will argue that oil isn't essential to our modern society. There is just absolutely no way modern society can function without oil. It provides 96% of our transportation needs in forms of jet fuel, diesel fuel, gasoline. Um, so what's your alternative to that 96% right now? You can, you've got a few electric cars on the road. So, I mean, here's the choice. You can, you can get your oil from domestic production, or you can have it come in in a tanker from Saudi Arabia and then well, then you can fight foreign wars and continue to worry about stability, instability in the Middle East, things like that. That's really the choice here. I, you know, I think that's that's the difference we've seen between the Trump administration and the Obama years is that, you know, Trump has really unleashed domestic production in this country to the point where, I mean, we're literally energy independent here. We don't have to worry about what goes on in Saudi Arabia or Venezuela or 
another of these countries where we have been dependent on oil. Well, well that's a real political question that needs to be, you know, that's the that's the political reality of this thing. Well, and for me, this is where we're going with it. We actually at the Crude Life, we have a thing this summer coming out called the the, the Earth's Champion that we I actually believe and and I'm not kidding. I I believe this. The real champions of the earth right now is the oil and gas industry. They're, they're the only ones that are truly trying to invest in technology to continue the way of life and make the planet greener. Um, I, I, I think that the environmentalists have gone so far extreme, much like, you know, there's a lot of right, right side people, too, that have gotten extreme, too. So, I mean, it's just it's, it's kind of a balance, if you will. To where they're they're no they're, they're no longer even trying to get rid of plastic bags anymore. It's just all right, get rid of drilling. It's just like they're not even worried yeah. about a compromise anymore, and that scares me. That you've got two presidential candidates that can just feel confident enough to make, you know, sure, crazy might be a bit strong, but outlandish I think would be more of an accurate term. Um, uh, unrealistic is definitely it'd be The Walking Dead without zombies in three days. And, you know, but when you look at what's going on in Colorado and now with the state of Washington, there is to me, there is some concern within the environmental movement to where they're getting a lot more foothold to where I think the oil and gas industry really needs to do a job of promoting right now because they are legitimately really trying to save the planet, whereas other people are pointing fingers mostly. That's just from what I've seen over the last probably seven years covering this industry on a day-to-day basis you're pretty involved with that um do you think i'm going off the deep end or have i got something to it there you are right on target um and i'll I'll tell you just uh you know we mentioned that oil and gas conference lynn helms uh our uh, industry regulator here in north dakota used the term consumer states you know and it was in the context of what we'd mentioned at the outset of the interview here about the washington state legislation you know really i mean the the consumer states um, particularly those on the West Coast, they have a choice here, you know, and, and it was pointed out in the in the uh, debate over that legislation out there. The the legislation we're, in, we're talking about would, um, it wouldn't, as you say, necessarily ban crude oil imports by rail, but it could potentially curtail them if they were to ramp up in the future. But the, the choice really for Washington State, again, there is do you want this crude from domestic sources where it's creating American jobs and people are paying American taxes, or do you want it to come in through Puget Sound on, a, on an oil tanker from the Middle East? I mean, that's, that's really the choice there. And, uh, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders, you can get your oil from Saudi Arabia if you want, but I'll take American crude. Well, not only that, but you, you've seen this firsthand because you, you live out there. And, you know, for me, I grew up on the eastern side of North Dakota, Fargo, you know, Minneapolis I was born in, but spent most of my time in North Dakota. That's why I went out to the Bakken and lived out there for a year so I could embed myself in the industry and figure out the day-to-day how it works. And it only took me about three seconds to realize the oil and gas industry is about the last essence of capitalism truly alive in today's economy. They, they don't get a lot of subsidies. Unfortunately, farming, you, you do. And so it's, it's, it's a little bit hard to say that, whereas oil and gas pay their fair share in taxes and then some. They also give their fair share of donations to the nonprofits and then some. And they still seem to have money left over for the T-ball team, the local church event, 
and a lot of other things that they get hit up for. And so to me, it just seems like they're the last bastion of capitalism. And that's what actually drew me to the whole industry. And to see that still alive out there is just, it's so amazing. And I think that gets underreported too. I really do. And I think people need to be more aware of that. And you're out there on a day-to-day basis. Do you see that still happening out there? Oh, there's enormous amounts of capital invested. I mean, the industry is investing literally millions and millions of dollars a day. Lynn Helms had a figure here earlier. Uh, I think to date, I would say, you know, the industry has invested something between, by now probably between 130 and $150 billion in North Dakota. I mean, that's putting capital at risk. Nowadays, you know, it's a little bit more predictable. It's not it's not so much exploratory as it is actually just production because they know the oil's there and they know how to get it out of the ground. But, I mean, it makes such an enormous contribution to the economy of uh, not just North Dakota, but the, the, you know, the entire country. We have extremely affordable energy. You know, gasoline is, you know, most places now somewhere between 250 and 3 bucks a gallon. That, that's just incredible that we, we can produce a, a useful commodity like that for that price. But then consider the tax revenue. I mean, at, at today's uh, production and uh, today's price accrued in uh, North Dakota, the oil industry is probably going to pay in a single year about $3 billion in taxes. So, um, you know, to say it isn't important um, and that it's not making a huge contribution to the American way of life would be very disingenuous. And to, to get the, you know, to the idea that you would want to eliminate that, that's, you know, that is kind of crazy, Jason. Well, that's where, I, that's where I'm going, because really, if, if you dig deep into this thing to where, okay, let's ban. Well, in Colorado, the governor came out and called it the war on oil and gas. He said the war on oil and gas is the term he used. That scared me because that means that it's, you know, there, there, there's a, what's the word I'm looking for? Organization. There's an organizational effort being handed here. And then when I see what's going on in the state of Washington, and then, yeah, you know, these consumer states, yeah, that's a that's a very good term for it. That is a very good term for it. And um, my, my concern is, though, that I don't think they understand the way that the economy works. And you remember, I think you were at the Petroleum Council's annual meeting when Stephen Moore was there from uh, sure. from he's a, a economist. He's a, a regular on Fox uh, as, as an as a correspondent. But he had a slide up during his presentation where it showed that the mining industry, the oil and gas industry, the only one that's had a net gain of jobs over the last 10 years. So all the technology talk, all the farming investment, all the uh, millennial investment, everything did not have a net gain of jobs at the end of 10 years. It was only the mining industry. It was because of the oil and gas hydraulic fracturing movement. That's, that said a lot to me. You know that, that meant that in a big body of work, the oil and gas industry has been carrying a lot of cafes and, and, and T-shirt shops. And you know what I mean by that? all those quality oh, yeah. of life type of well, uh, businesses. So go, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, those I mean, those dollars uh, recirculate in our economy. I mean, that's that's the, the kind of the message by by making energy affordable. Um, people have more disposable income for all the other life's pleasures. It's Mr. Jeff Simon, going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. We're going to take a quick pause, but when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Jeff Simon with the Western Dakota Energy Association. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Well, that's my life, yes, y'all, and I love it. Well, that's my life, there ain't nothing else in the world above it. 
And I see people all alone Picking their guitars, playing their songs And I tell them, forget it Cause you can't fake it If you're gonna make it, you gotta live it Yeah, brother, you can't fake it If you're gonna make it, you gotta live it Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, coming up next, we continue the conversation with Jeff Simon with the Western Dakota Energy Association. Kind of the message, by by making energy affordable, um, people have more disposable income for all the other life's pleasures. It's, you know, uh, I was, uh, I, I, one of my... Uh, uh, avocations i guess you might call it is i i spend a little time on twitter kind of trolling the environmentalists out there oh you know <laughs> it's it's kind of fun with you you know just to kind of make fun of them because they're just so um you know so out of touch with what's really going on out there and you know to, to point out the fallacy of, of their argument that you know somehow we're going to live without this are you kidding me i mean consider you know where you're going to be without gasoline and, and i mean it, it, the people leading those consumer states you know if they if they're going to step up and stop using gasoline and and uh, diesel and jet fuel well you know then i'll maybe start listening to them but you know until they do that i mean they're just they're just being hypocrites that's a, one of the things that we're doing this summer is with the earth's champion um we're going to be promoting and educating more of educating that, you know, like what you said, that the today's environmentalist has changed. They've changed. Okay, Ed Begley, Ed Begley Jr. can come on our program any day of the week. Ed Begley Jr. drives around in a methane garbage-powered car. That guy's walking the walk, talking the talk. When yeah. I went out to the Dapple protesters, the person tried to serve me a Keurig coffee cup. Oh, actually, exactly. I left the interview. No, thank you. Absolutely not. We have experts on this program. We don't have hypocrites. And so that really opened my eyes to the modern-day protester. And then you saw, of course, the, um, the garbage that was left behind at the DAPA oh. protest. That was awful, absolutely yeah. awful. A million-dollar cleanup. Million-dollar, exactly. And, and, it was, and it was garbage. It, it was not compositable, you know, like uh, pl- plas- or, I'm sorry, cardboard drinking straws. No, these were plastic you know, things they picked up at the grocery store. And then, you know, these were convenient plastic things like it a Keurig coffee, you know? And so... wasn't quite a super fun site, but it was a big mess. Yeah, sure. and, and not only that, but then you start looking at like electric cars, you know? Most of the electric cars are powered by coal. And so 
if you're driving around an electric car talking about how great you're treating the environment and then you're turning around and demonizing coal, well, you better take the mirrors down in your house. And, yeah, the, well, and then, yeah, and then you know that. And then, like, you take a look at an iPhone. Okay, if electric. you're... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I was going to say, an electric car, you got to talk about lithium mining and copper mining and everything else that goes into an electric car, too. And, and that's where I was going with the iPhone, was that the, the today's protester does like what you do. They go around and they troll people, right? Except for what they're doing is nothing to help the solution to the planet's problems. They're drinking Keurig coffee. iPhones take 28 rare minerals. Okay, I'm sorry, elements, 28 yeah. rare elements. And that's what we're talking about, the batteries and the electric cars. And so the people on the oil and gas side and the and innovation side, they're not the ones pointing fingers at the people that are actually trying to solve the problems. It's the ones who that are talking about the environmental movement as this great way of life. Those are the ones who are actually causing more problems than solutions in my eye. Now, it... it I believe I have a lot of evidence, so that's why I'm saying this is not a political statement from the crude life's point of view. This is a fact, and we're yeah. going to go out and we're going to educate that fact this summer in a very fun way. And you know, we'd love your help because you know exactly what we're talking about. Exactly. <laughs> so, well, go ahead. Know, I mean, the, the fact is, Jason, the the evidence is there in science. You know, it's science and economics. I mean, it, it, that's the, the the downfall of the environmental organizations. I think. The, the science, so-called science that they use, has been so vastly corrupted. It's, you know, the whole climate groupthink thing is just, it's just unbelievable now that there are people out there that think carbon dioxide is causing hurricanes. It's just, I mean, it's utter nonsense. But, you know, scientists are dependent on government revenue. You know, the, the you know, the science that, that promote that level of activism are, are dependent on it. And you kind of, you can't cut through that mentality. These people are not looking at real objective science. They're not considering rational economics when you talk about energy and where you're going to get it and how it's produced and its net contribution to the to society. We need to get back to those fundamentals of good science, good economics. Well, and common sense seems to help, too. You know, I mean, you know, there, there was a time where the oil and gas industry and the environmentalists were working together. I mean, you, you don't have to dig too deep into an oil and gas company to see that they have renewable energy departments and they have you know research and development because they understand that you know that they they want to make money too and there's a demand out there and but when you start looking at the state of Texas, I don't know if they got into this much down at the conference you're at or you've been following, but all those McMansions down there that put up solar panels in the last three years that they, they've been trying to track, none of them made money. None of them. They all costed them money. So all they did was subsidize themselves to, to you know, look trendy and be kind of cool. And they, and they openly admit it now. That's that, All that was was nice hubcaps on their car because it did nothing for their energy bill. Well, you know what we have to, what, what I think society has to recognize is that we have a, we have a, a clean environment in the United States because we can afford it. You know, if, if you don't have a prosperous economy, you can't afford to do the research that's going to lead to that breakthrough. You can't mandate some sort of technological breakthrough by by banning what we have now. It just doesn't it doesn't make sense. We, we just need to support ongoing research if we're going to have these breakthrough technologies. And in North Dakota, our folks, we devote a lot to research. We've got a Lignite Research Council, Oil Gas Research Council, 
and a lot of research goes on at the universities in the valley over there, Grand Forks and, and Fargo, North Dakota State and UND. They're doing all sorts of research into energy and looking for better ways to do things, and agriculture too, for that matter. Brought up a good point that I should bring on a buddy of mine who's been traveling to China the last 20 years, and that's what he talks about. He goes, you'd be amazed at how much that country has cleaned up. He goes, when I first went there, you couldn't even walk across a bridge because the rivers smelled like raw sewage. And, you know, some of the areas in the city were just so polluted with, with smoke and that sort of stuff. Well, they, they've, we've sold them our intellectual property. We've consulted. We've gone over. And the nice thing is, is that we are helping different countries clean up their, their, their deal. There's a great uh, a number of books out there that talk about the ethical argument for oil and gas that really just talks about bringing third world countries out of the third world. And quite honestly, if you look at it from that perspective, you don't need to dig much deeper than that. <laughs> I mean, well, just in the just in the past thirty years, uh, you know, the, the portion of the global population that's in you know dire poverty has dropped uh, from it was about thirty percent. Now it's less than ten percent. You know, a lot of these areas have been electrified, and it's largely attributable to the development of fossil fuels in those countries. I mean, but, um, it, you know, the only way you're ever going to clean up is if you can if you can afford to do it. I mean, you have to have affordable energy, and these other, these other sources just aren't, aren't going to deliver that. If you don't, I mean, you look at a, at a, you know, a third world country, they look at the environment in terms of consumables and flammables. What can I what can I harvest and what can I burn to keep warm? That's, you know, uh, modern society doesn't do that. We look at ways to uh, use fossil resources efficiently, effectively, cleanly. And that was Mr. Jeff Simon with the Western Dakota Energy Association. To listen to the full-length interview or check out other exclusive interviews right here at the Multimedia Cafe, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTubes. All the social media links are available at thecrudelife.com and click on the social media tab. That's going to do it for today's program. We'll be back tomorrow at this time on this radio station. And if you're streaming us online or listening to us on one of our many, 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 many podcast platforms like iTunes, we thank you very much for selecting us as part of your content. We know there's a million places out there with a million people doing content. So thank you very much. From the staff here at the Multimedia Cafe, my name is Jason Spies asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. Together we will make a rich living, phrasing and composing new lyrical treasure. Because we're back to the way. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic. 
the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery.